This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Last week we began a series that we're calling Revive. And um, I think, I could be wrong, because my memory is uh, worsening as I age, but I don't remember a time in more than eight years of preaching here. I don't remember a time of opening up a a series and having more people say to me, uh, this is for me. I need this. This is where I am. Uh, How did you know? Uh, Well, I didn't know, but, uh, you know, but this is exactly where I'm living. Um, I can't remember a time where that's been been the case. Um, So very encouraging. Thank you for your responsiveness. And uh, thank you for leaning in to what the Lord uh, has for us. Many people just say, this is timely. So I I pray that'll be the case. I think that's the case for us corporately as a church. Last week, what we did was we looked at sort of a high-level view, uh, like a 30,000-foot view in some ways, about the nature of revival, the nature of renewal. Um, We sought to learn, what is God? what, What do we know about God's character that reveals him as one who renews and revives. And this, today I want to do the same thing. I'm, I'm going to read a psalm to us in a moment that's very similar in theme. And so rather than moving to something different, I want to dig a little deeper on the same theme. Last week in Psalm 85, we located a theme verse. We don't usually have a theme verse for a series, but we have a theme verse for this series, Revive. I want to show it to you. Uh, this is it. Uh, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you, Psalm 85, 6? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? That's what we talked about last week. So if you weren't here last week, I'd recommend uh, listening to the message. You can get the podcast, listen to it online so that you're current uh, with this idea about being revived. God is a reviving God, and he revives us from all kinds of circumstances. He revives us from sin so that we come back to him again. He revives us from familiarity, complacency, and apathy to a vivid awareness of who he is with his presence. He revives us from spiritual deserts. We're going to see that today. He he revives us from a, uh, a flagrant pursuit of sin, from just outright rebellion, prodigal, running the other way. He revives us from that as well. But God is a reviving God. He restores his people. He renews his people. He revitalizes his people. And the psalm we're going to look at today shows us that very similar to Psalm 85 last week. So Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. 
He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray. God, we continue to echo the prayer of your word. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We pray the prayer of this psalm this morning, Lord. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Restore our fortunes. Lord, move in a way that will renew and restore. Impart fresh vision for who you are, what you are like. Engage our hearts with fresh hope for our future. Lord, touch us with a, with a penetrating awareness that we don't have right this second. A penetrating awareness of the glory of the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ. We pray that our hearts would come alive. That, that, Lord, we pray that there would be a fresh flame in our hearts. That you would stir what remains and that you would renew, and that you would revive, and that you would do it again like you've done before. We ask you that, Lord. Speak to us through your word, for we know there is no renewal apart from hearing your voice, and we hear your voice through your word. So we are listening, and we ask you to speak to us now clearly. In Jesus' name we ask this, that your church might rejoice in you, and that you might receive great glory from that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, uh, we saw the psalm had three parts. This psalm just has two parts. really can be divided into two parts. The first three verses tell us what God did. The, The next three verses tell us what God will do. What God did, we talked a lot about that last week. It's a very key component in renewal. What God did, aware of what God did in the past. And secondly, what God will do. Well, we know how this psalm was used. It's, if you look at the beginning, the heading is a song of ascents. It was a psalm that was used, a song that was sung as the people of God would travel to Jerusalem for the festivals each year. So it's a pilgrimage song. It's a, it's a road trip worship song is what it is. You're, you're traveling to Jerusalem, and as the people are ascending to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is always viewed as up from anywhere, wherever you are, you go up to Jerusalem, whether you're north, south, east, or west of it. So you, as you are ascending to Jerusalem, this is one of the songs they would sing. And, and they would start by remembering what God had done. See, remembering God's work in the past is a vital part of our worship. It's a vital part of the worship of the people of God, and so they would remember what God had done as they sang this song. Look what they said in verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. That same phrase was used in Psalm 85 that we studied last week, restoring the fortunes of Zion. That is how most translations translate this. There are some that say when you, something like when you restored the captives uh, or, or something like that. It's a more specific uh, interpretation. But most, most translations in the ESV, and I'm going to go with that, are more general. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. It may very well have been 
that this psalm referred to the restoring of fortunes being, as we talked about last week, the people in exile returning to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity, after they were under the loving discipline of the Lord and had been taken captive, they were restored to their homeland. And you can read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah or the prophets, uh, Haggai and Zechariah. And so that may have been what happened, that Lord, when you brought us back into the land after we had been captive for many years, you restored our fortunes and that was glorious. But the reality is whether it was that or some other event, because regularly God was restoring his people in the Old Covenant. Uh, so whether it was that or another circumstance, we know that there is a general usage because it's, it's in the Psalms, it's for our worship too. It's not just for a specific situation, but it's for all ages, that everyone who knows the Lord, all of us in Christ can sing this, can quote this, can meditate on this, can celebrate this truth. When you restored the forts of Zion, when you acted in our lives in the past, when you turned things around, when it shifted, when I was desperate and you came through, when I was in darkness and you turned on the light, when you seemed so distant and then you came near to me in your mercy and compassion. When you restored the fortunes, it's a remembering of God doing something in the past. And it is a revelation of the character of God, that he is a restoring God. If you are a believer here in Jesus Christ today, and you think it's over, you think that your life will never be the same, you think that you're in the penalty box for good, you think that the season that you're walking through of dryness where God seems perhaps distant, You think that that's just enduring. You need a vision of God who restores. God who comes near. God who does a new thing. Not among the unbeliever, but among the believer. I'm not talking about conversion. I'm talking about renewal for the people of God, for you. God is a restorer. He restores from difficult circumstances, from sin, from dry seasons. And whatever happened here, it doesn't tell us, whatever happened, it was significant. It changed the people's experience of God. Look how the psalmist says it. We were like those who dream. Here's another way to say it. It was unreal. It was unreal what God did for us. It was like, I hope I don't wake up. I hope this isn't a dream. Have you ever had God work in your life like that? A time when God was unusually real to you. You ever had a time where God was uniquely near? He's always near, but you were aware of his nearness in a unique, in an unusual way. It was a season of your life that marked you. Have you had that experience where God was unusually unusually at work in you and around you? It wasn't just you. It wasn't just you had this experience, but people around you, in your small group, in your church, on your campus, whatever it was, people around you were being affected, and you were like, this is unusual. This is not norm. This is not status quo. This, This is like a dream what God is doing. Have you ever had that experience? That's what the psalmist is referring back to. He's saying, this is our history, people. Remember when he restored our fortunes, and it was like, don't wake us up. I hope this is not a dream. This is almost too good to be true. He points back to a time like that. Now, we're going to see in verse 4, he says, restore us. It's not like that right now. 
The people of God are not experiencing that right now. It may feel like, rather than a dream, they may think this is a nightmare what's experiencing right now. This is bad. But there was a time, it was like a dream for us. It was more than a dream. It was a time of joy. Look at the language. I love this, verse 2. Our mouth was filled with laughter. This is what it was like back then, God. We weren't slightly amused. We weren't moderately entertained. We had laughter flowing out of our mouth. Could not contain. Overflowing. Laughter is bursting out of my mouth. I can't keep it in. Ever had that situation like where you're not supposed to be laughing at something and you just cannot keep it in? Somebody does something, and you know, the polite thing is to not say anything or anything, and you look over and somebody's doing that deal. I can't control it. The laughter is bursting out. That's what, that's what it was like with God. God was so real to us. His work was so glorious to us. What he did was so real that our mouth filled up with laughter and our tongue, our tongue with shouts of joy. This is not modest joy again. This is extravagant. We're shouting about it. We are shouting. We are laughing. We are joyful. This is as good as it gets, this side of heaven. An experience of God, a work of God, a deliverance, a restoration, a renewal in God that causes us to be joyful. In revival, there is always joy. Not only joy, there's a lot of other things. There's a lot of other emotions and experiences that would seem the opposite, like fear of God like trembling before the holiness of God, and yet joy at the same time. Aware of holiness in times of renewal, more aware of God's holiness than ever before, and yet more enveloped in his love than ever before, both at the same time. And, uh, but here, joy is always part of it. Our, our theme verse, you know, will you not revive us again? Why? That your people may rejoice in you. We may have rejoice. We may have joy again. Lord, would you revive us so that we take our joy in you? Not the idols of the culture, not the things of the world, but you. Would you do that for us so that we would have joy in you? They are in a, series, uh, in a position now of dryness, but they remember a time when he restored their fortunes. God's work was not only dreamlike, God's work was not only joyful, but God's work made the nations aware. Verse 2, second half, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. He's saying, let's remember the time when God acted on his people in such a distinct, such a notable way that people that did not know God, the nations looked on and said, their God is doing something. Their God is doing something. The nations were no longer laughing at the people of God. The nations were recognizing the people of God laughing, experiencing the the move of God in their midst, the reversal of their experience, the the change in their fortunes. And I use that word advisedly because the Bible uses it. I don't use it in the luck sort of sense. But a, a turn of fortune, a turn of God's work for them. The nations looked on and saw that and and took note. See, here's another key. We're up at 30,000 feet looking at what is renewal? What is revival? What is it like? Who does it? Well, it's the restoring God, restoring his people that results in an unreal experience. What's not normal, an accelerated experience of him where it's, this is like unreal 
and then a, a, a tremendous joy in him and also a powerful witness so that the world notices. The world notices. See, we talked last week, revival, we often use that word, I think inappropriately, revival is for the church. It's not an evangelistic campaign. Revival isn't how many, it isn't, doesn't start with people getting saved. It's not about what happens out there. It's about what happens in the church. But here's the key. God revives his people so that they are renewed in him so that they're celebrating and experiencing and aware of him so that the world looks on and says, what is this? And we're a witness to the world so people see the glory of the gospel and people want to know Jesus. Revival comes when the church grows in holiness, when the church grows in our awareness of God, when our church is filled up with God and filled up with his joy, not when we have a new strategy, a new campaign, a new plan. It's when God is among his people, when his community is alive, that the world looks on and says, this is different. They're not like us. Something is different and we're provoked. God is among them. The nations said, the Lord has done great things for them. The explanation for us isn't the exodus. It isn't coming out of captivity from Babylon. It's the work of Jesus Christ. Those are all true. Historically, we're in that that covenant line. But for us, we are changed by Jesus. And so the explanation of the change in our circumstances, the change of our experience of Christ, the renewed joy, the explanation is Jesus. And so when people see the church in an unusual way experiencing God, they look on and many will be repelled, but many will be drawn as well. The Lord has done great things. Look at verse 3. The psalmist, the church, echoes the evaluation of the world. The Lord has done great things for us. The world's saying, God's doing something among you. The church says, the God is, God is doing something among us, and we are glad. We're glad about it. Revival is a renewed people that cannot go unnoticed. A renewed life that cannot be hidden. A light that is not hidden or covered, but shines. See, for Israel and for us, remembering the past is to function as a lively way forward. Remembering the past joy and past witness to the world and past worship as they experienced and past deliverance and past unusual experience and knowledge of God, it, it, it restores them. As they're going to worship, they are remembering what you did. We're remembering what God did. And we see as it transitions into the next section, it leads to hope for the future. Remembrance of God's past work is to lead us to hope in the future. I had a, uh, great, two great experiences this week. I have the privilege of this year uh, of, of getting to be in two different community groups. Uh, one, our pastoral team community group, and then a um, I'm in my second community group. Didn't get kicked out of the first, but we're going to a different one. My wife, Ginger, and I each trimester. So I got to be in two meetings this week uh, talking about Psalm 85. But one of the highlights, they were both great. One of the highlights for me was in our meeting time this week with our pastors and our our wives looking at um, Psalm 85. We just went around and we shared about a time in our life when God was working in an unusual way. We all 
reminisced. We all remembered. And, and it was glorious because people were sharing their story and they were smiling, getting animated, remembering what it was like and what happened. Interestingly, almost every story had to do with the college age years. It's interesting. Almost every story type. And so I learned something about everybody in the room. Some funny things and some... But I learned something about everyone in the room that I did not know. As we did this, we remembered what God had done. But here was the neat thing. It wasn't just like, let's get some history. As we broke into praying for God to work in our lives now, that fueled it. I can pray with great confidence. Restore us again. Renew us again. Do it again. When I remember his faithfulness in the past, I'm inspired. I have faith to pray that he'll do that again. God, grant me grace to repent quickly again like back then. Grant me grace to be hungry for your word like back then. Grant me grace to pray naturally, spontaneously, passionately like back then. God, make worship, singing to you, something that I, that I, that it, it is just, it, it just, I'm just compelled by it. Like back then, Lord, open my mouth to testify to those who don't know you, by just faith to, for God to move again as he did in the past. What, what, what happens here in this Psalm is what's to happen for us as a church and for us as individuals to remember God's work, but we don't stay there. It's just not nostalgia. Well, those were the good old days. God hadn't done anything since then and probably won't ever before, but at least I had that one little period. No, that's not what they're saying here. Remember when you restored the fortunes of of Israel? That was great. You did good things. Amen. That's not how the psalm ends. Look what he does in verse 4. It changes and it moves to restore our fortune. So it looks forward with faith. Remembrance of the past causes us to look forward with faith to the future. And there's some of us who may not have had an experience of renewal in the past. You're converted, uh, which is glorious. It's not but. You're you're converted. Nothing greater than that. That's the ultimate darkness to light. Nothing compares to that. But maybe there's never been a, a, a season in your life where you were renewed by God in an unusual and in a life changing, in a lasting way. Um, well, I'm praying that that'll that'll be the case for you. That, that you'll be sharing a memory in the future that you'll say, you know, I remember back in 2014. That's my prayer. I remember back in 2014 or 2015 or whatever, 2016, we're on God's timetable. I'm not going to preach a series till 2016, but uh, we're on God's timetable. That you would look back and say, I remember this season. I really pray that for the young people. If you're a second-generation Christian, oftentimes second-generation Christians uh, grow up and have a different experience, not better or worse, but different than their parents who were first-generation Christians. My prayer is that you have a first-generation Christian experience as a second-generation Christian. My, My prayer is that your parents who tell the stories about what it was like when they were an unbeliever and no one in their family was an unbeliever and they got converted, I pray your experience of God blows that away that you've grown up among the people of God. You've grown up in a Christian family. And I pray that you experience a newness, a renewal. High school student, middle school, middle school. You don't have to be a high school student, college student. I'm praying that this year would be a year that you're marked, 
that something changes, that it's not business as usual, that it's not your parents' faith or the church's faith, but your faith comes alive. It's not just like an ember in the fire, but it's a blaze. That God reveals himself to you. And and it's it's not just, did you have your quiet time? You can't put the Bible down. That's my prayer for you. My prayer for the young people of our church and for all of us to to be renewed. If you have had a time where you were more aware of the holiness of God, you were more aware of getting right with God and getting right with people, you're more aware of God's love than you ever had been before, then then let's pray verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord. You're restoring God. Do it again and again. What God did second point is what God will do. Verse 4, that is the reason for the psalm. That is the cry of their heart. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. That's the prayer. Do it again. Lord, please do it again. We remember so clearly what it was like. Now, would you do that for us again? There's a desperation. There's an urgency. There's a desperation in how vivid they, they describe the past. The past is so clear because the present's so bad. The past is so great because the present isn't. The remembrance of God is so wonderful because the present experience of Him, for whatever reason, is distant, dry, lacking life and vitality. And so they're saying, restore us again. And then this next few verses are so key to everything we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. Because these next three, two verses, uh, well, really two and a half verses, show us something super important about the nature of renewal and revival. What the psalmist does is he used two different pictures to describe God's renewing work. And they almost, at the surface, appear like opposites. But they're not opposites. They're complementary, and we want to emphasize both of them. Here's the first one. Restore us, O Lord, restore our fortunes, O Lord, rather, like streams in the Negeb. Like streams in the Negeb. Now, that, that is not a simile, like streams in the Negeb, that is not a simile that connects with most of us very naturally, because most of us wouldn't know uh, the Negeb if if it was in our backyard. Most of us don't know what the Negeb is. I wouldn't have known without some research about what the streams in the Negeb and what that picture is like. The Negeb, or some translations say V on the end, Negev or Negeb. Uh, the ESV, I'm just going to use it. The Negeb is how it, it gives it. it. It was a desert region in the south of Judah. So the picture is we want to have an experience, but here's the environment. It's the Negev. It's the desert. It's dry, sandy, brittle, feels God-forsaken is a language that's used sometimes. But here's the thing about the Negeb. There were stream beds in the Negeb, um, water channels in the Negeb, that were normally dry except on rare occasions when the stream beds could change from dry to flowing streams very quickly. Here's a description of it from a, a, a really sound Old Testament theologian and, and commentator named uh, Willem Van Gameren. Van Gameren writes the following from his personal observation of being in the Negev. 
He says the wadis, a wadi is like a water course. I had to look that up. It's a water course or a stream bed. The wadis south of Hebron around Beersheba were generally dry. But on the rare occasions when during the winter months it rained, even as little as one inch, the water ran down its streams with great rapidity and often with destructive force. I have seen roads and bridges destroyed by the force of those torrential streams. The, quote, streams in the Negev were not ordinary phenomena, as much as they represent proverbially, proverbially, they represent proverbially the sudden unleash of God's blessing. So, a desert, there's nothing, it's dry, but out of nowhere in the winter, in the desert, a rain comes. And these stream beds with as little as an an inch become a flood of rushing water that is so powerful it's destructive. And the result is with a little bit of water through that stream bed, flowers and grass will sprout up in the desert and life will come. He's saying that the picture here, the simile, like streams in the Negev, the picture is one of a sudden unleash of God's blessing. Here's what they're saying. God, it's dry, it's barren, but would you suddenly, quickly, out of nowhere, sovereignly, all because of you, 100% your action, would you just come and change everything in a minute? In a moment, would you come in a moment and change everything? Would you bring life in the desert? Would you bring streams in the desert? Would you bring a sudden unleash of your blessing any moment? Would you do this, O God? So the first picture is one of a sudden, sovereign downpour of blessing. I don't know about you, but I I will take that. Streams in the negative. Sign me up for streams in the Negev. And so we want to have that kind of anticipation at any moment. At any moment, God can move. Many years ago, uh, I served as a youth pastor. And uh, I don't think this really happens anymore, but for some reason, in that youth ministry, uh, when a kid got in trouble, uh, it would not be unusual for me to hear from a kid uh, yeah, I can't come to the youth meeting because my parents grounded me from coming to the youth meeting. Or sometimes I talk to a parent. Yeah, I'm grounded. He can't come to the youth meeting. I've, I've restricted that. And I didn't have kids of high school age. I was a young whippersnapper. Um, and I was not responsible for discipling these teenagers. Their parents were. But I had an opinion about that. And I would graciously and gently push back. And there's tons of reasons for that, chiefly because the idea that a sinner should be banned from the preached word of God uh, is, well, beside from that, here was the reason, the streams in the Negev argument, that I'm charismatic enough, I'm a revivalist enough, that I know God can turn a heart any moment, and I want to be under the position to have my conscience awakened. And to have my heart convicted. And to have the gospel come to me. To have a revelation of the holiness of God. And that comes from the preached word of God. And God could break through in any environment. 
a kid sitting in his bedroom. A God could break through in that environment. But the pattern of Scripture is that God breaks through and convicts a heart and changes a heart from the Word of God. And we want to be under the word of God. That was a long time ago. So I would say things like, is there something else you could restrict? Like, could you take away their Sony Walkman cassette player? That's how old. Could you restrict them from watching the new episode of the Cosby show this week? That's how old. Can you take away their tech mobile video game? That's how old it was. So back in the day, that's what my appeal would be. I wasn't responsible, just, just a little advice. Because at any moment, the rain comes down and the heart is changed. The hard heart needs the word of God. And at any moment when the word of God is declared, it is read, it is meditated, it is studied. At any moment, the word of God can break forth in a torrential downpour that can change a life. This is what Ortland says about this. Your Ray Ortland, I'm quoting him a lot, and this is like a really mean thing to do. I'm quoting him from, I got a bunch of questions last week. What was that Ortland quote? Where'd you get it? It's from a book that's no longer in print, sorry. But I'll bring to you some of the highlights. Your Negeb and mine. Now again, he's not, he's not allegorizing the text. It's clearly a simile. It, it, it's, it's a comparison. So he's making a comparison as well. This is a fair fair way to interpret scripture. Your Negeb and mine, that place of drought, of parched lives, of dry worship, arid marriages, barren evangelism can become a scene of the sudden unleash of God's blessing. God is able to grant an extraordinary downpour of blessing. So here's the first picture. Lord, restore us and do it in a glorious, sudden, quote-unquote, out-of-the-blue, sovereign, quick, downpour, changed way. Do it that way. But that's not the only metaphor. Look at what he says next, verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is very different. The first instance has nothing to do with us. You can't make it rain. We don't believe rain dances. You you can't make it rain. The second one is still the work of God because only God gives a harvest. But man's very involved. Sowing, that is planting seeds. The sowing and reaping metaphor, that's not sudden. You plant seeds, you work hard, you put them in the ground, and you wait. And and it's hard work. He describes it. We don't know exactly why there's crying, but he describes it as sowing in tears. Describes it as going out with weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. Going out into the field with a bag of seed and weeping. It's hard. It's laborious. It's natural. There's nothing supernatural about planting seeds. It's natural. And yet in this, there is a great promise in view. Those who sow in tears, they're going to reap with shouts of joy. They're going to get the same joy as coming. Those who go out weeping, they're coming back with shouts of joy. 
bringing sheaves with them. That makes me want to go old, old school and sing bringing in the sheaves. If you don't know what that is, some of you know what that is. Some of you don't know that song, but that's, that is old school. So we're here, we, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. A sheave is a big rolled up grain, like a big rolled up wheat. Uh, so it's this, this you know, huge uh, bound I don't know the right language. I'm not very agricultural. Chunk of grain. I don't know. Big heap of grain. We're coming in and we're shouting and we're laughing and we're rejoicing. It's verses one to three. But you know how God brought it? Through work and wait. That's how he brought it. Well, which is it? Oh, it's both. It's both. And when we look at them both together we see that we learn something, that there's mystery in renewal and revival. Sometimes it's a sudden downpour of blessing with apparently no effort, and sometimes it's strenuous labor yielding a joyful harvest. But in either case, we are to be hopeful and we're to anticipate God to restore. And here's the other thing. We aren't to sit idly by waiting to see if something will happen. There's seed to sow. There's seed to sow. We step out in faith. Um, so, so, you know, the question is, do I... Here's a very practical, super practical... Again, this is 30,000 feet, but let me get down on the ground. You know, do I read my Bible regularly when my heart is for the, reading the Bible? Or do I wait till my heart is really for the Word and then I start reading? No, you read the Bible regularly and through that, a harvest will come. You start planting seed, you start waiting on the Lord, you start reading, and you see what God does, what happens. That oftentimes it comes, that that experience of God comes through the regular sowing of seed and time, and then God brings a glorious harvest. Sometimes God acts and does something dramatic and gives us a heart, and we're changed in a moment. That happens too. But we don't sit back and wait for that. We sow seed. The farmer doesn't wait for miraculous rain in the desert. The farmer sows seed. And that's not always exciting. That's not always thrilling. That's not a miracle a minute. It's tears. It's hard. It's labor. It's work. From what I've read about historic revivals, like significant revivals that changed a church, a city, a nation... From what I've read about them, they almost always appear like streams in the Negev. They almost, to the outside, appear like something sudden happened. But if you scratch beneath the surface, there's always been this group of people praying, sowing seed faithfully. It never just happened apart from Scripture, apart from the regular disciplines of the Christian life, apart from regular faithfulness to God. All it, what it is is an accelerated work of God, an accelerated work of the Spirit, a dynamic, unusual presence of God with his people, working in a new way and broadly beyond the church, overflowing into those around them. That's what it is. But there's always been something happening behind the scenes. I can track in my own life numbers. I shared a few of these last week. Numbers of times where I felt uh, experienced renewal. And especially when I was younger. Some of those felt very sudden. I shared one last week. It felt very sudden. I was just on a phone call, and boom, it was strings in the Negev. Changed my life. One phone, boom. What I didn't tell you is that I had a faithful mom who sowed prayer and tears for me since I was a young person, since I was born, since before I was born. 
It wasn't like that happened apart from someone sowing seed on a regular basis. When my mom died, uh, we were able to see some of her journals that we hadn't seen before. And there was just written out prayers for her children and notes of praying for her kids. And it's very humbling because I started thinking, man, I, hey, I, maybe I accomplished some things in my spiritual life, which is not just arrogant and not true. And I got, not only is it the grace of God, anything that happens in us is the grace of God, but he used someone to pray for us that we didn't even know. There's always seeds being sown. There, there's always someone laboring, even though it may just appear like streams in the Negev for others who don't know. See, here's a truth that we want to carry with us in the coming weeks. Revival is a sovereign work of God. And God sovereignly answers the prayers of his people. They're both true. Revival is a sovereign renewal. It is the work of God. You cannot force it. You cannot trigger it. You cannot make it happen. You cannot renew yourself. But there is this hope and promise that as we sow seed, God responds and God does something through his word, he brings a harvest. Two points to apply this, and, and we're done. And again, we're still up at a big level. We're going to get down on the ground more. In coming weeks, I want to talk about repentance. I want to talk about prayer. Uh, I want to talk about the holiness of God. I want to talk more about joy. I want to talk about reaching the lost. Um, I want to talk about unity. Uh, I want to talk about community. Lots of aspects of renewal and revival. I want to talk about waiting on the Lord considering going bonkers and talking about something like fasting, uh, put on your seatbelt. Uh, so anyway, I'd like to talk about a lot of those things. But we're up, up here still looking at these characteristics. God's a restoring God. When he restores, it's unusual and unreal like a dream. There's joy attached to it. The, nation, the, the unbelievers notice the work of God, and he reaches them through it. Um, we can cry out for renewal and revival, and God brings that, restore our fortunes sometimes in a sudden way, and sometimes through work and waiting, it comes to us. And so we don't sit idly by. But two things to close. Number one, believe again. I loved this one sentence summary of Psalm 126 that I read again from Ray Orland. He wrote, Psalm 126 invites us to believe again. The pilgrims are going up to Jerusalem and they're believing again, Lord, you did this in the past. Now do it again in our lives. You did this in the past. Now do it again. We're praying. We're praying. We're asking. God is able to do amazing things. God is able to turn the planter's tears to the harvester's laughter and shouts of joy. God is able to restore fortunes so that we are living like it's a dream, not the American dream, the biblical dream of knowing God and experiencing him. God wants us to believe that he is who he says he is. He is a God who restores. He's done it before. He will do it again. Remember his faithfulness. Recount his faithfulness. Consider his faithfulness primarily in the scripture where we read him working in a concentrated way through the work of Jesus Christ and the cross and resurrection. That's where we see him working for us. Let's remember that. Let's remember how he saved us and let's remember how he's renewed us along the way. And let's believe again. Let's trust God. Let's don't give up. Let the farm, the picture here is not the farmer who says, I give up. I don't know. It might not rain this year. It might all, we had a bad crop last year. We may have a bad crop this year. 
There's not much in the barn. It's kind of empty. So what am I going to do? Sit here? No, sow some seed. That's the second idea. Believe again and plant seeds. Here the psalmist talks about planting seeds. At least in this psalm, we know that planting seeds involves remembering what God has done, remembering his saving of you, remembering his work in the cross, remembering his work of renewal in your life in the past. It minimally involves thanking him, thanking him for what he's done. That's right here in this passage. And more than that, it is a stirring to return to his word. Revival, we talked about this last week in a significant way. Revival comes through the scripture. The revived heart is the heart that has been exposed, that has meditated on, that has digested the word of God. It's not a magic deal. It is the word of God that is alive and is active and changes people. And so it will not happen without planting the seed of exposing ourselves to his word. I mean, Jesus said it a different way, having the seed sort of planted in us so that it bears crop, bears a harvest in us. Revival comes as we pray. Sowing seeds is praying. It's waiting on God. It's meditating on God. That's why we're getting together Thursday night. We're just carving out a chunk of time in the middle of the week to sing, to worship, to recount to pray. We're going to share some vision as well to give you some tangible things to pray about, but that's what we're going to do. You might consider just taking some time and praying for that meeting Thursday night, maybe even fasting Thursday coming. Lord, I'm planting seed. I'm, I'm wide open to streams in the Negev. How about a downpour? Now, Lord, I'm open. I'm waiting and I'm sowing seeds while I'm waiting and trusting to see what you will do in my life. It it has to do with carving out time, sometimes doing unconventional and radical things, whatever the Lord leads you to do, to posture yourself, to turn off the noise, to put down the distractions, and to just get before God. Say, God, renew my heart, revive my heart, just stopping for a moment to assess my heart, and then asking him to work in a dramatic way. Let's ask God to act in a dramatic way. This isn't unique to Israel. This isn't unique to some other period of time in church history. This isn't unique to some other Christian. Young people, this isn't unique to your parents' experience sometime in the past. This is God who restores. This is God who promises, so in tears, you will reap in joy and laughter, and we will reap eternally in heaven for sure. But even before that, the Lord has reaping. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.